We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. So guys, I, I've got to tell y'all something. I, I hate the word sorry. I don't like sorry. We say it all the time, right? In culture, like, we say it all the time. Um, even a lot of times when we don't even do anything, somebody trips, and we're like, sorry, and they're like, you didn't do anything. Like, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for saying sorry. I'm sorry, right? I, I hate the word sorry uh, because I feel like many times we say sorry, honestly, y'all, we don't really mean it. I really believe that a lot of times we say sorry, and I'm really getting confused, puzzled faces in our, in our faces. Do you remember being a kid and you did something to your sibling, or your sibling did something to you, and your mom or your dad says, don't do that to your sibling or your brother or your sister. Be good. Don't say sorry. And you knew in your heart, I ain't sorry. But you said sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, if you see a kid go, sorry, they don't mean it. Nope. Stop making that kid say sorry, because what we're training a culture of people who say sorry and really don't mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? My family hears it from me all the time. My wife, she, it gets on her nerves. Because she'll say something, and she'll be like, oh, sorry. I'm like, well, don't say sorry if you don't mean it. She's like, what are you talking about? It really trips out the kids. The kids don't know what to do when I say that. They're like, you know, they do something, and I'm like, why do do that? I'm like, hey, that's not cool. They're like, oh, sorry. And I'm like, don't say sorry if you don't mean it. And they're looking at me like, wait, so what do I say? <laughs> I'm so used to saying sorry. And I'm like, well, do you mean it? Uh, can I tell the truth? <laughs> tell the truth. No, so don't say sorry if you don't really mean it, right? Uh, but why do we resort to sorry? Why do we always say sorry? Because it's such a good word. In this culture, in society, we've learned very well on how to do good things and say good things and be good people. And it's all about, hey, let's be good, let's, let, let's do good. But it seems that kindness and goodness, kindness and goodness in society has been replaced for genuine love and connection with people. We've, we, we've replaced just be good, just be kind, with an actual love and genuineness of connection with people. And that's what I came to share with you today. In fact, that's what this whole series has been about, Peeled. So if you're new around here, been a series called Peeled in Part 5. If you haven't heard the other ones, go online. They're on YouTube. They're on podcasts. Go check them out. Catch up. I believe this has been an amazing and freeing series as we've been just unpacking what it looks like to peel back the layers of the life that God gave us to get to the core of what it is to truly walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Scripture talks about walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And over time, over these past few weeks and over the next few weeks for the rest of this month, we're going to be peeling back the layers and finding out how we can move from a shallow form of doing to the whole form of being. We want to move from doing 
to being. And that's what I want to talk about today. So in the first uh, message of the series, we opened up with a text. I'm going to read it in just a second. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I made this revelation and I made this, you know, uh, I just observations. I was reading through uh, this text. Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and all of these things. And I'm looking at all of this and I keep reading it for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kind for the fruit of the Spirit. Wait, hold on. Fruit is one thing. It didn't say the fruits of the Spirit. I would have totally understood if I'm reading the text and it says, for the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and kindness. No, it says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, and everything else. And then I realized they they didn't have punctuation like we have punctuation. We created the commons and, and all these things that were written in the original Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. And so what if it was deliberate when they wrote the fruit of the Spirit is love? That's what it was. The fruit of the Spirit is love, point blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's expressed in joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Because I, I, I came to this revelation is you cannot have joy, peace, kindness, love, faithfulness, steadfastness, and, uh, and all these things, self-control, if you don't have love. In the major text in 1 Corinthians uh, that everybody uses on their wedding, it uh, talks about, you know, uh, love is patient, love is kind, love is this, love is this. And it says you can have all these things. You can speak in the tongues of angels. You can have everything in the world. But if you don't have love, it's all meaningless. So could it be that the fruit of the Spirit is love? That's where we begin. So... The fruit of the Spirit is love. Then the next week, Zach came and taught an amazing word on joy. And, of course, he was joyful that day. Where's Zachary Bola? Look at that, looking back there. He's joyful now still. Of course he was joyful that day because he proposed, y'all. And she said yes. What would have been funny if she had said no after he preached on joy? (laughs) I'd have been like, joy, Zach, joy. Continue with the joy. But she said yes. So, of course, that was amazing. Then my wife, who we were out in the park, she talked about uh, 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 the peace that comes from the person and work of Jesus Christ and talked about how Jesus was laying in the boat while everybody's going crazy. And he's got his pillow. He's got his duvet. He's got, I mean, everything. He's got some nice music playing in the background. You know, that holy angels were singing to Jesus. While he was like, That's not in the Bible, but, you know, <laughs> that's in my vernacular of the Bible. But he's sleeping peacefully, and she gave uh, the challenge, if Jesus can sleep peacefully in the storm, and we are with Jesus, and Jesus lives within us, why can't we have that same peace? Why don't we have that same peace? Such an amazing word. And then last week, we covered patience. Y'all, last week was fun. I don't know how many of you guys caught it online. Patience was really good. And if you have not seen it yet, if you have not watched that online experience, when y'all should have been watching it because we didn't have church in person. I said, I talked about patience last week. Everybody was like, we had church last week? <laughs> yes, we did, online, and you didn't watch it. Mm. I see you. But last week we covered patience, and we did it in a really different way, and we invited you to say, watch this with someone. Watch this with a friend. Watch this with a spouse. Watch it with a small community. And I would encourage you guys to go watch it. Watch it with your kids. And there's some discussion questions throughout the message. We set it up so that you can just hit pause and then talk about it, then hit play, 
Watch a little bit more, hit pause, talk about it a little bit. It's really cool, and I would invite you to do that. Today, we want to unpack the fruit of the spirit of love expressed through kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. We're going to contrast fruit of the spirit and what is not the fruit of the spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, this is not on the screen, so if you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to take it out or turn it on, scroll to it, however you get to it. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, but the works of the flesh at first. So you got a difference. You got fruit of the Spirit and you got works of the flesh. So the works of the flesh is all about being and doing, and the fruit of the Spirit is all about what's living inside of you, what's permeating, what God has placed inside of you for it to permeate, right? He says... In contrasting the works of the flesh, he says, but if you are, um, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things alike. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So he comes and he shares and he, he gives us contrast and he juxtaposes what it's like to live a life of performance, a life of doing, a life of, uh, of sin, a life of, of brokenness and living away from God's ideal. And then he shows up with what the fruit of the spirit is. He says, this is what I want your life to look like. If you want to experience wholeness in this life, if you want to uh, expose wholeness in this life, if you want to introduce wholeness in this life to the people around you, You've got to walk in the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says against these things, there is no law. If you're walking in these things, you can't be judged. If you're walking in these things, no one can do anything against you, no matter what they say, no matter what accusation comes your way. If you are walking in the being of the spirit inside of you, you can walk in freedom knowing that you are work, walking perfectly in step with the Lord, right? And so now we, we look at our relationship, we look at our life, and, and I ask the question, um, does, does your job when you go to work, is there love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your family? with your spouse, with your kids. Hello, somebody. I'm, I'm in a challenge right now with my oldest son. Like, yeah, I love him. I love him. I love him. Are these things being expressed in your daily life? Is love manifested in all these things being manifested in your daily life? In Galatians chapter 5 or 6, we have this on the screen. Paul says that love is an expression of our faith. In fact, he says it like this, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He says, listen, there's no religiosity when you're in Christ. There's no performance when you're in Christ. You don't have to do anything to be in Christ. You don't have to perform and act and follow these rules and these regulations, and you don't have to uh, live in this performance. But did I do good today? Did I, did, was I kind today? Did I do this today? And he says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. The reason he uses that is back in the day, the Jews, uh, before Christ came, they had a practice to circumcise every male at the age of eight days old, and that signified whether you were part of the faith community or not. 
And so it was performance-based, and not only did you have these rules, but now, bros, when we walked into church, they'd be like, drop the pants. Let's see if you're part of the community of faith. <laughs> oh, nah, bro, you got a little extra back of the line. And so these Judaizers are coming up, and they're like, yo, I know you guys weren't Jews, but Jesus has come to the people who weren't part of the Jewish community, too. So if you want in, if you want to be a part of this, you got to start with this performance-based religion, and it starts with, bros, drop your pants. Girls, y'all so lucky. He says, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working from love. I love this one song. It says, falling in love with Jesus, falling. Because once you fall in love with Jesus, once you understand what Jesus has done for you, once you understand who he is, once you understand uh, the gravity of who Jesus is, what he's done, and who he is to you, you can't help but live a life of faith because of the love he had for you and the love you now have for him. Paul says love is an expression of faith. Now when you go to work. Your, your, your work relationships, your environments are expressions of your faith because you love Jesus and you love God. You treat people a little different because of your faith in Jesus because of he loves you and you love him. In our relationships, our work, our education, we're no longer doing just to do. We're living out our experience. Have you ever thought that your job, have you ever thought that your parenting, have you ever thought that your education was an expression of your faith? Worked out in love. Because of your love and devotion to the Lord, you express how you educate yourself, how you learn what you do every single day, how you are based off of your faith. He uses love as the fulfillment of the law, verse 14. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you want to obey and walk in step with the Lord? Love. What is the evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ? Love. Uh, what is the evidence that you're growing in faith? A lot of times we sit there and we wonder, like, you know, I've been reading the Bible. I just don't feel like I'm growing. Hey, you know what? Can I tell you? This is a side note right here. You can't force yourself to grow. You can only create a container in which growth happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? And so you can't say, like, well, am I growing in faith? Am I growing in my, in my relationship with the Lord? I can tell you how you can see the evidences of growth. Are you loving more? Are you loving people more? Are you loving yourself more? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ gave up his life for you. Are you loving yourself at the same level that Jesus loved you? Are you looking at yourself in the mirror and talking like, I don't like this. I, don't, uh, uh, uh. I know because I do that to myself all the time. I get out the shower and I look in my mirror. I'm like, bro, you disgusting. You need help. How do I know I'm growing in faith when I look at myself like, boy, all them rolls are beautiful. I look like a Cinnabon. Ugh, you are sweet. The evidence of growth is loving. And you're loving yourself. How do you know that you're doing the Lord's will every day? Are you loving more and more every single day? In Romans uh, 5, 5. The writer Paul again tells us God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into us. 
not on us. You know, if I take water and I pour it on this table, it's all going to fall off. And a lot of times we feel like that's what God does to us. He comes and he showers his love on the cross for us. He pours it on us. And then when we sin, it's like we all of a sudden dry up. Jesus didn't do that. When Jesus poured his love on the cross to you, he poured it into you so that it would saturate your every being. And Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he loves you and gave his life for you. And his love lives in you and will not leave you even when you make a mistake. Yep, even that mistake. Yep, yep. Yep. And that one. Oh, yeah, that one too. <laughs> that one. But this love that's been poured into us now enables us to love others and love God and love ourselves. I love this quote from William Barclay in his book, Flesh and Spirit. It says this, Christian love springs to life when Christ is incarnated again in a man or a woman who has given himself or himself absolutely to him. Yeah, yeah. Christian love springs to life when Christ is incarnated. When something is incarnated, it is saturated. It comes into that thing and lives in it and dwells in it and it begins to express itself through that. So if Christ's love, if God's love has been poured into us, we can't help but be loving and walk in love. So back to the fruit of the Spirit. So why, do I, why did I give you guys this framework? Now I can now actually start preaching. That was an introduction, so <laughs> now we're going to get into the Word. Kindness and goodness is what we're talking about today. Kindness and goodness are expressions of the character of the love of God. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is kind and good. The Lord is good. Kindness and goodness is the expression of the identity and the characteristics of God. Psalm 105 says, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Yeah. To all generations. The reality is, it's not just kept for good people. The love of God is not only, the kindness and the goodness of God is not only, John, kept for the people we like. It's expressed on all people, on all situations, in every encounter that we expect. Matthew 5 says this. This is Jesus talking. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God's kindness and goodness is not only reserved for the people who are holy, saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled. God's kindness and goodness is poured out on all the earth. God is even kind to the unrighteous. What is saying Luke chapter 6, 35? It says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. Why? And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. I was the ungrateful and evil one. And God was kind to me by being willing to send his only begotten son. That if I would just dare believe in him, I would not have to experience 
the righteous, holy wrath and indignation poured out on Jesus Christ. I was the ungrateful one. And why was I ungrateful? Because even after he died for my sins, I still sinned. And in my sin, I show ungratefulness. And God says what? Wake up this morning. I'm going to give you traveling mercies to get to your job. I'm going to give you traveling mercies to get to where you need to go. Even when I forget his goodness and his grace. So let me ask you a question. Are you kind and are you good? Are you kind and are you good? If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. I literally want you to meditate on that question. Are you kind? Am I kind or am I good? Because mostly, before I shared any of this, whenever I asked that question, I saw everybody just looked at me. There, If I would have asked that question at the beginning, everybody would be like, yeah, of course I'm kind. I'm good. Right? But if we're honest, most of the times we're kind and good is to those who can reciprocate our kindness and our goodness to them. I see people on Facebook all the time posting like, yo, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. This season, I'm only going to be with those who care about me. I'm only investing in those people who invest in me. See, kindness and goodness are not mutually exclusive. Can I teach y'all a little bit? Can I teach? Kindness and goodness are not mutually exclusive, nor are they without love. Kindness and goodness are not without love. Kindness and goodness without love is actually a form of narcissism. When we say, you know what, a lot of times we say, I'm just going to kill him with kindness. It sounds really good. What you're saying, I'm better than them. I'm above them. Why can't you just be kind and good not to kill them, but to just to love them? Why do we have to kill them with kindness? Why can't we just love them with kindness? I'm just going to hold space for them. Because I said it too. I said it just this week. Somebody was getting on my nerves. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to kill him with kindness. The Holy Spirit was like, oh, why don't you just love him with kindness? Why you got to kill him? It makes us self-righteous and egotistical. And, and, and the reality is it, it makes us, kindness and goodness without love actually can make us very manipulative and self-centered. Because I'm going to be kind and good to you to get a desired result, not because I really just care and love for you. So I'm going to do everything that I can to, to be really nice to you because I know if I'm really nice to you, I'm really kind to you, I'm going to be able to. So our bosses are going to be really kind and good to them because I know I'm going to be asking for that raise soon. Our, our spouses, we're going to be really kind and good to them. Hello, somebody, because I'm trying to give them tonight. <laughs> FYI. With the cherry on top. That's bad. Okay, I'm done. That's too far, too far, too far. I'm sorry. I just got, I looked at my wife. I'm sorry. I just like, I was just drawn. She's fine. I'm sorry. Um, oh, see? I ain't even sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not even sorry. I am not sorry. She is fine. I'm looking at her and I'm thinking about tonight. Hello, somebody. So all the new people are like, oh my gosh. What type of church is this? <clears throat> True kindness and goodness is born out of a genuine love and care for others. But culture has traded kindness and goodness of God for tolerance and appeasement. So all over TV, 
all over the news. We need to be more tolerant. We need to be more tolerant. You know, I, at the beginning of this series, I, I put that uh, statement on the coexist statement. Some of us may have it on our cars, and it, it sounds really good. But it's, it's a statement on tolerance. I don't want to just, if, some, if I met you today, lady right there who I'm looking at, and we had a great conversation, and then you talked to somebody who I knew afterwards, and I told them, I just tolerated her. How would you feel? Tolerance is not a good thing, y'all. Love is the requirement. Love is the need. Love is a call, right? What the world needs now is love, not tolerance. So what does true godly kindness and goodness look like? I'm going to ask Denoy, go ahead and come up, and uh, the band, we're going to start wrapping up right here. Taylor, am I in good time? Come on, let's go. Yeah, everybody, y'all go ahead, come on. Y'all sound so good. I wanted everybody back up. <laughs> Taylor, you loving me right now? Thank you. You're not tolerating me like you did last Sunday. <laughs> what does true godly kindness and goodness look like, y'all? First point, first lesson, hospitality for the disenfranchised. What is true love? What does true kindness and goodness really look like? It's hospitality for the disenfranchised. There's a story of a woman. Jose, this is your cue. What you going to say? Let me tell you about the woman at the well. Let me tell you about the woman at the well. This woman was disenfranchised. She had made some really terrible decisions. She was sleeping around. Everybody in the community knew who she was. And she comes to this well to come and draw water in the middle of the day. That is not when you draw water. In the Middle East, it was probably 114 degrees, and she's got to now draw pails of water, carry them on her head, or carry them on her shoulders, and walk miles back into town. She's drawing water in the middle of the day, because chances are, all the other women who this was their duty, it was the women who came to draw water from the well, did not want to be around her because maybe that woman had been with their man. That woman was somebody who was with their cousin's man. And they didn't want anything to do with her, so they ostracized her. But that's not even the worst of it. This woman was called a Samaritan. And a Samaritan was something that the religious people looked at with absolute disgust. In fact, they called them half-breeds. They called them dogs. They hated the Samaritans so much that when they would travel from town to town, if they had to go through Samaria, they would literally walk around because they didn't want to be close to these people called dogs. They didn't want to be close to the uh, 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 Samaritans. But guess what? Y'all know Jesus. Jesus always does things a little unconventional. And so instead of passing around the city, Jesus passed through the city. And he comes and he has an encounter with this woman. And his disciples have gone to find food. And he begins to engage her, and he stays a little longer. And they come back and say, uh, Master Jesus, you haven't eaten yet. And he says, listen, I ain't worried about that. I'm in community. I'm in conversation. 
with somebody who was disenfranchised. See, you guys are so worried about everything that's happening over there. You're worried about filling your bellies. You're worrying about the next event that we got to get to. But no, I'm trying to create space for somebody who feels out of place. I'm trying to create space for somebody who doesn't feel at home. I want to say welcome home to this young lady. That it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've been labeled. You've got home. Hospitality is available for you. What does real kindness and goodness look like? Hospitality for the disenfranchised. Number two, patience with the broken. Uh, you know what? Let me, let me track back for a question. When Jesus' disciples came, they were perplexed when they saw him talking to this woman. Because number one, he's talking to a woman. Number two, probably word got out when they walked like, yo, I heard you, you want your boy Jesus. He's talking to you don't, you don't want to get too close. And number three, she's a Samaritan. Let me ask you a question. Are people fascinated by your hospitality? Are people really fascinated and their mind blown like, how? how? How come you invite those people to your house? How come I see you doing lunch with them? How come when you're at school and you're talking to these individuals, like, do you know what people are going to say about you? Are people fascinated by your hospitality? Point number two, patience with the broken. What does true godly kindness and goodness look like? Patience with the broken. Mark 5, one of my very favorite stories. Jesus, again, not willing to go around but deciding to pass through. He's with his disciples. They have no clue what's going on. And he says this random statement in scripture. Let's go to the other side of the sea. Let's go to the other side of the sea. There was intentionality in his speech. He didn't say, man, dude, I'm tired, man. Let's just get away. Let's just go float. Let's just go sit, set the sail and go where the wind takes us. He says, no, let us go to the other side of the sea. What was on the other side of the sea? Story tells us that Jesus walks onto this land and this demon-possessed man shows up. This demon-possessed man that was broken, that was filled with over 7,000 demons, Scripture tells us. This man was just riddled with pain, riddled with hurt, riddled with anxiety, riddled with every broken thing that you can think of. In fact, the people of the community had banished this man out. He was living in amongst the tombs. He was living in the graveyards. He was cutting himself just to get some sort of feeling. He's mutilating himself. He's broken. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the sea because I don't want to just pass around. I want to pass through because there's an encounter that I need to have. The story goes that the demon-possessed man recognizes who Jesus is. The demons know exactly who Jesus is. And they run. And this man uh, comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. And Jesus goes on. He heals him. He casts the demons out. And a few moments later, this man is clothed in his right mind. First of all, how many people who were broken have been around you and now are clothed and in their right mind? Or are you too busy talking about how broken they are? How they're showing up the way they shouldn't show up? How they're stuck in things that they shouldn't show up? Are they clothed and in their right mind? Because because an encounter of you, because the God of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, lives inside of you. What's permeating from you? That was free. That wasn't even part of the message. But they find that man 
sitting next to Jesus, learning, growing, absorbing all Jesus is giving, the townspeople show up. And they're like, isn't this the man that was demon-possessed, that we cast out of the city? How then is he clothed? How is it in his right mind? Let me ask you a question. Are people perplexed by your patience with the broken? Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a, another family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody in school. Maybe it's that person walking down the street who everybody seems to just walk past. Everybody says he smells funny. She smells funny. I don't want to be around them. I'm going to go to the other side of the street. How are people perplexed by your patience? We've got a whole homeless community in South Bend. Let me just ask you a question. This is not judgment. This is just a reality. Do we kind have the kind of love that Jesus says, let me go to the other side of the city. Let me go not pass around, but let me go pass through. Let me go sit down with somebody. Let me go hear their story. Let let me find out what's going on. How did you get to this point? Are people perplexed by your patience with the broken? Point number three, last point. Oh, this one's going to strike a chord. Y'all going to think I'm trying to say something, but I am. What does true kindness and goodness look like? Connection with the opposition. Connection with the opposition. Not tolerance of the opposition. Not appeasement of the opposition. Not ridicule of the opposition. Not distance from the opposition, but patience for the opposition. In Matthew 9, the story is told of Jesus showing up to Matthew's house. See, let me tell you a little bit about Matthew. Matthew was a Jew. He was part of the faith community. But Matthew had a knack for working the numbers. He was a numbers guy. He was a tax guy. And rather than remain within the Jewish community and connect to the people who he was connected to, Matthew decides to go work for the enemy, for the other political party. He goes, and now he's raising funds for the other political party. And he is keeping funds for himself via working for the political party. And Matthew is seen as a traitor. He's seen as somebody who is not uh, following the ideals and the customs of the Jewish law, of the community of faith. And for him to go and vote different and, and show up at these rallies different and to be on the other side is like, bro, have you forgotten the principles of our faith? You can't stand with them. You can't be with them. And what does Jesus say? To Matthew, come follow me. Yeah, yeah. And then Jesus tells Matthew, we're throwing a party at your house. Yeah. In fact, invite everybody from the other political party. Bring them all over and we're going to have a happy, good time. Jesus is in this space 
with these people who are considered the opposition, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jewish teachers and the pastors and the preachers and the elders in church and the deacons and all the good people in church show up and they're looking through the windows. First of all, they should be minding their own business. Why are they worried about somebody else? They over there looking and they're saying, why is Jesus over here hanging out with tax collectors, sinners, and all these prostitutes and all these individuals? And it says that Jesus is reclining at the table. Jesus says, I'm going to be connected to the opposition. I'm going to love across boundaries. Because what unites us is much deeper than what separates us. I ain't worried about how you vote. I don't worry about how you think. I don't worry about what your stance is on this. I'm going to be connected to the opposition because just maybe, just maybe, an encounter with Jesus will change everything. And I wonder how many of us are in here who carry the love of God, who carry the presence of Jesus, who are going to put ourselves in a space where we wouldn't usually be and just maybe your presence there will flip the atmosphere. They called Jesus a drunkard. In fact, I love, I love the way it says in the King James Version. They called him a wine bibbler. <laughs> a wine bibbler. He's like, he's a glutton and a wine bibbler. He's with the other guys. Let me ask you a question. Are people judging you by the company you keep? Now, let me put a caveat here. Jesus' presence with the opposition wasn't about tolerance. It was about transformation. Jesus was bringing something to the table. Many of us just want to hang out with folk just because they're our friends. I just love them. How could I? No, this is. And we end up being changed and transformed instead of being the transforming agents. See, that's what tolerance does. Eventually, as we tolerate, we begin to water down our beliefs. But when we show up transformed with true kindness, with true goodness, we can't help but transform the environment around us. And even if people choose not to follow suit, they can say, that one is different. They can begin to ask the question, I don't even know why they come around. But they know that when you come around, the atmosphere shifts. Things change. What does true kindness and goodness look like? Hospitality for the disenfranchised. Patience with the broken. Connection with the opposition. Jesus didn't go around doing good. He lived his life. He lives his life being loved. Jesus didn't go around doing good. He lives his life being loved. And that love is the one that has been poured into us, not on us. So we might pour into others through genuine kindness and goodness. So are you kind? And are you good? God, we thank you. 
for the greatest expression of kindness and goodness, love and patience, joy and complete selflessness that you showered on us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. How good and faithful you are to us, Lord, to see us in our broken state, to see us in our disenfranchised state, to see us in our judgy state, and being so kind to send your son to the cross to die for our sins, to die for our brokenness, to die for our judgment, so that when we say yes to him, we do not be judged. In fact, we are sealed in your love. God, I wonder if there's somebody in this room who wants to admit I have not been kind and good. I have not walked in love. And maybe the individual in here has been disenfranchised. They've done some things or uh, they've been ostracized by who they are and, and what background they come from. Maybe there's somebody in here who knows that they're broken, they're sinful, and they are doing everything to cope, but they're recognizing today God has been too good to me. He's been too loving to me. He's been too kind to me. And today I just want to say, God, I want to accept this love. I want to accept this kindness that you have for me. If you are in this room, wherever you're at, in fact, all of us here today, Let's just pray this prayer today. And I'll just tell you to take your hand and put it on your heart, just symbolically saying, Lord, I may fall in one of these categories. And everybody, let's just pray this prayer. Dear God, today I repent. I have not been kind. I have not been good. I have not walked in love. But today I recognize it. So I'm coming home. You've created a space for me through Jesus dying on the cross. Seal my commitment to you. Forgive me of my sins and teach me how to love like you love. And it's in your son's name I pray. Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless, guys. Have a great Sunday. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.